I want to take you back this morning to Hebrews chapter 11 in verse number 21, which says these words, By faith Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff or on the top of his bed. What a powerful testimony to believing faith. What a tremendous testimony to a man who lived in obedience to God. There is so much in that verse, but we have to go back to Genesis chapter 48 to understand the context. And we took you there last week by helping you understand Jacob's belief. On top of that, not just Jacob's belief, but Jacob's bereavement then Jacob's blessing, then Jacob's behavior, and then Jacob's bestowment. Everything in Genesis chapter 48 just jumps off the page, just screams faith. Because Jacob walked by faith. Jacob lived a life of faith. And he blessed the sons of Joseph. Who was Joseph? Joseph was the son that Jacob loved, right? Why did he love him? Because he was a son of his old age. We told you what that meant. It meant that he was a wise son. He had an old head on a young body. He was wise because of observation. He was wise because of insight. And God used him in a powerful way. And then he was the one who received the cloak, the multicolored tunic. Reuben didn't get it. He should have. He was the firstborn. But Reuben forfeited that opportunity. Why? Because he slept with his father's concubine. But Joseph, he was the one of character. That's why in Genesis chapter 49, when Jacob blesses Joseph, he talks about he being one who was distinguished above all of his brothers. And what was it that distinguished Joseph above all of his brothers? He was a man of character. He was a man of holiness, a man of purity, a man who honored and loved the Lord. That's why he received the cloak, because he was the leader. He was the example. He was the one that paved the way for the other brothers to know how to live. Usually it's the older brother that does that, but he disqualified himself. Joseph, though, was a son of his old age. He was the wise son, and he was blessed accordingly. And he had two sons, one named Manasseh, the firstborn. Number two, Ephraim, the secondborn. Manasseh meaning, God has caused me to forget. Ephraim meaning, doubly fruitful, or God has caused me to be fruitful. And we told you last week, the only way you can be fruitful in the present is if you're able to forget your past. If you can't forgive those in your past, and you can't forget all that took place, you can't be fruitful in the present doesn't mean that it's erased from your memory because nothing in Joseph's life was erased from his memory. But he forgot all the pain surrounding the situation and circumstances because God had caused him to forget those things. Therefore, he was fruitful in the present. And if you read the life of Joseph, he was the one who was doubly fruitful in a unique and special way. And so you have Joseph, you have his sons, and now Jacob was about to die, right? And as he's about to die, he calls for Joseph to come with his sons. And he comes and he blesses the sons. And the blessing, remember, is all rooted in faith. 
It's all rooted in what God has already said. It wasn't that Jacob just conjured up some blessing in his mind and said, you know what, I think I'm going to bless these guys this way or that way. No, that's not the way it is. In fact, if you read Genesis chapter 49, everything in Genesis chapter 49 is about prophecy. And all that's going to transpire in the life of the tribes of Israel, right? But Genesis 48, it's about Manasseh and Ephraim. So he told you, Jacob's belief was rooted in everything that God had said and done in his life. That's why he says to Joseph, he says in verse 3, Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and numerous, and I will make you a company of peoples and will give this land to your descendants after you for an everlasting possession. God appeared to him at Luz. What is Luz? Luz is Bethel. Luz is the place where he went to sleep. He put his head on a rock and he saw a staircase coming out of heaven. Remember that? And that staircase was the gateway to heaven. He said, I've seen the gateway to heaven. I know how to get to glory. This was the redemption of Jacob. This is how Jacob knew what it meant to get to heaven. Because the angels ascended and descended on that gateway or on that staircase. And he realized what it meant to believe in the Lord God Almighty. Everything about the blessing that Jacob gives is rooted in the belief he had about his God. He believed in his God. That's why he says, I've seen the gate to heaven. Remember what Matthew 7 says? That the way is narrow. The gate is small that leads to glory. There's a small gate that leads to glory. The broad gate leads to hell. The small gate leads to glory. And few there be that find it. Jacob found it. Jacob understood it. Jacob tells us the way to glory. It's only through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Jacob's belief is all rooted in what God did and what he believed about who God was and what God said about the promise that he had given to Isaac, that he had given to Jacob, I mean to, to Abraham, now passed down to Jacob. And so he brings the boys in, Joseph does, and Jacob is going to bless Manasseh and Ephraim. He says, they are mine. Towards last week, that's, that's ancient language for adoption. He's going to adopt them. Why? Because they have a Gentile mother. He married the, the daughter of a priest in Egypt, Joseph did. So in order for them to be the recipients of the blessing, they have to be adopted into a Jewish family. And so Jacob adopts Manasseh and Ephraim, claims them as his own because he's going to bless them and they're going to be supreme as tribes in Israel. And that belief leads to Jacob's bereavement. And what does he talk about? He talks about Rachel, the beloved Rachel. He talks about the tears he had for her and the tribute that he wanted to pay to her. 
There were great tears shed, shed for, for Rachel because that was his beloved wife. Yes, he was married to Leah, but this was Rachel. And remember, Leah is buried in the cave at, of Machpelah in Hebron along with, with uh, Jacob. But Rachel's not. Where's Rachel buried? Ah, Rachel has a very special place. She's buried in Bethlehem. Why? Because she would die on the way to Bethlehem, right? Bethlehem Ephrathah. And on her way, she would give birth to Benjamin, the son of my right hand. Because Benjamin became a type of Christ. The son of my right hand would be born in Bethlehem, right? He would be slain like all the lambs at Passover are slain on Calvary's tree. Rachel, the the special wife of 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 Joseph had a special burying place because of the birth of Benjamin, the son of her right hand, being a type of Christ. What a beautiful picture. And all this meant so much to Jacob. And so you move from Jacob's uh, belief to Jacob's bereavement because he sees in, in Joseph, Rachel. He sees in in Joseph's sons the opportunity to pay tribute to Rachel. And that's exactly what he's going to do. But listen, he's not doing this for Rachel's sake. He's doing this for Christ's sake, for God's sake. Why? Because the blessing is what God has told him to say. So he's going to give those words of blessing to Manasseh and Ephraim because of what God had done in his life. So you move from Jacob's belief to Jacob's bereavement to Jacob's blessing. And Joseph brings the boys. Remember he told you last week, he puts Manasseh on his left hand. So he's at the right hand of Jacob. And Ephraim with his right hand. So he's on the left hand of Jacob because Ephraim's the youngest. And we told you last week that when you did the blessing, you put the right hand on the firstborn and the left on the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth. But the right hand maintained its stay on the firstborn. But what would happen? is that Jacob would reverse his hands and put the blessing upon the younger and not the older. Remember, it was Abel, not Cain, who received the blessing. It was Jacob, not Esau, Isaac, not Ishmael, Joseph, not Reuben, Ephraim, not Manasseh. All throughout the book of Genesis. Why? God just messing up your mind. He's just doing what he wants to do. He wants to show you. Listen, very important. All that shows you that when God chooses, he doesn't choose based on position. He doesn't choose based on pedigree. He doesn't choose based on your prominence. He chooses based on his choice. So you realize that none of it's of you. That's why God does that all through the book of Genesis. Just to show you that it's not about you as to why he chose you. It's all about him. And so when Jacob blessed these boys, he did it because this is what God said to do. You bless the younger 
Make him the recipient of the blessings of the firstborn. That's not a knock on Manasseh. That's just the way God chose to do it. And so he did. And in the blessing, listen to what he says. He said in verse number 15, he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. And I'll stop right there. God has been my shepherd all my life to this day. The whole doctrine, listen, of shepherdology begins right here. It's all rooted in the book of Genesis. It's all rooted in Genesis 48, verse number 15. Shepherdology is not rooted in Psalm 23 with David. It's rooted in Genesis chapter 48 with Jacob, because Jacob too was a shepherd. But this is where God, a shepherd, is first mentioned in Scripture. And so everything about shepherdology is rooted in Genesis chapter 48. Now look what Jacob says to Joseph in Genesis 49, in verse 25. His bow remained firm and his arms were agile from the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd the stone of Israel. As Jacob blesses Joseph, as he blesses all of the boys, he tells them about the attributes of God. And he points to two major elements of the attribute and nature of God. He is shepherd and he is stone. Now this is very important. First time, The word stone is mentioned in the scripture, and 14 times in the scriptures, stone refers to the Messiah of Israel. And little did Jacob know, as his eyes were growing dim, he had no idea necessarily that in his prophecy of Joseph would be everything about the the Messiah's first coming and the Messiah's second coming. In his first coming, he would come as shepherd. But in his second coming, he comes as stone. Why? Daniel 2. If you've been with us on Wednesday night, you know this. Daniel 2. It's the stone that comes and crushes the 10-nation confederacy, and the stone is the Messiah. See? And so, Jacob, very early on, is prophesying prophesying not only just the first coming of the Messiah, but the second coming of the Messiah. Remember what it says over in Isaiah? I'm sorry, uh, Psalm 80. Oh, give ear, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned above the cherubim, shine forth uh, before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your power, come and save us a reference to God as shepherd going back to Genesis chapter 49, Genesis chapter 48. And then you read over in Isaiah, Isaiah 40, verse number 10, behold, the Lord God will come with might with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. 
And then over in John 10, what does it say? I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Christ is speaking. As he talks about the fact that he's the good shepherd, every Jew would automatically go back to Jacob's blessing of Manasseh and Ephraim. Ours, our mind doesn't do that because we're not Jewish. But if I'm Jewish and I'm raised in the synagogue and I hear Christ say, I am the good shepherd, my ears perk up and I begin to think, wait a minute, you're the good shepherd? Isn't this the shepherd that Jacob spoke about leading him all the days of his, of his life? Isn't this the same shepherd that he blessed Joseph with? I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. He goes on to say in verse number 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and they know me. Christ is taking them all the way back to the book of beginnings to show them that Christ is God in the flesh. You see, there's so much in the blessing of Jacob's grandsons. He claims them as his own sons that tell us about the arrival of the Messiah. If you go back over to 1 Peter, oh, I'm sorry, Hebrews 13, verse number 20. We'll get there in a few uh, months, I think it is. Maybe a few years, I don't know. Hebrews 13, 20. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep. Now remember, he's writing to Jewish people, right? So he's writing to them about the shepherd. Who's the shepherd? Well, they know Genesis 48 and 49. They know Psalm 23. They know Psalm 80. They know Isaiah 40. They know who the shepherd of Israel is. But you tell me now the shepherd's died? And he has been raised from the dead? He's the great shepherd of the sheep. And then Peter would say over in 1 Peter chapter, chapter 2, he would say, For you were continually straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your soul. And then chapter 5, verse number 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. See, there's so much in the blessing. And so Jacob is telling Joseph that the shepherd, my shepherd, the God of Israel, has led me all this way. He's brought me to this place. He's told me what to say. Now that I'm here, I'm saying exactly what he told me to say because he's my shepherd. And then he says this, Genesis 48, verse number 16. He says, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Who's that? Who's that? That's the angel of the Lord. That's the angel of the Lord that helps him understand. Wait, just think about this. Back in Genesis chapter 22, when Isaac, his father, was offered up as a sacrifice, how many times do you think Jacob heard that story? How many times do you think Isaac told him that story about how God called him to Mount Moriah, how he took him up on a mountain and was going to slay him, and the angel of the Lord said, wait, stop. Now I know you fear me, Abraham. I will provide a substitute in your son's place. All a type of Christ being the ultimate substitute for your sins and mine. 
when not only does Jacob understand Messiah, the angel of the Lord, being a substitute, he now knows that the angel of the Lord is the staircase, the gateway into glory. Not only does he know that he is the staircase, the gateway into glory, he knows that this shepherd, this shepherd is a stone that provides redemption. Ephesians 1, verse number 7, by him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's why we begin to understand how Jacob believes his God for his redemption. He gets it. He understands it. And so in the blessing, he's talking about the great shepherd of Israel. In the blessing, he's talking about the great redeemer of Israel. Because you see, he's passing the blessing down, the covenant that was given to his father Abraham, passing it down to his grandsons, which he has adopted as his own sons, that they might be the recipients of the great blessing that God has passed down from generation to generation. So you go from Jacob's belief to Jacob's bereavement to Jacob's blessing and then Jacob's behavior because he switches the hands. And Joseph gets all upset. He gets frustrated. Wait a minute, time out. Dad, because Remember, Joseph is bowing, remember? He is bowing with his brothers, with his sons, as his, his father blesses his boys. But when he raises his head, Jacob's hands are crossed. The blessing has already been given to Ephraim. And Joseph says, wait a minute, you can't do that. That's not right, Dad. And listen to what he says. He says, But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also will become a people, and he also will be great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he, I know. How does he know? How does he know? God told him. That's how he knows. This is all about faith, right? By faith, Jacob blessed the sons of Joseph, right? It's all taken by faith. And faith is absolutely confident in what God says. And Jacob has confidence. I know. I know. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have supreme confidence in our eternal destiny. These things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. We don't speculate about eternal life. We don't think we have eternal life. We know we have eternal life. We don't think about which way is to heaven. We know the way to heaven. We don't think Jesus is God. We know Jesus is God. We know these things. Why? Because we are confident based on what God has already said. That's why. And Jacob, his faith is seen in the confidence, the confidence he has in what God has already said. But he also tells us this, that faith will be criticized by even those who are closest to you. So here is Joseph. The only thing in Scripture that's critical that comes out of the mouth of Joseph, that even begins to question what God's doing, 
But he quickly turns around because he realizes his father is saying only what God told him to say, right? But is it not true that your faith will be criticized by those closest to you? You take a stand on the word of God, never compromising the word of God. And even those who love you will criticize you. Peter criticized the Lord. All will deny me. Not so, Lord. You're wrong. I'm not denying you. But he did. Why? Because our Lord knew. And so even those who love you will criticize you. So here's Jacob's faith, confident in what God said, even criticized by those closest to him. But his faith was convinced of God's purposes and plans. Convinced, absolutely convinced, didn't waver. I know, I know. Faith is convinced of the purposes and plans of God and will not compromise. And that's what Jacob had. And Jacob's faith was not only convinced of the plans and purposes of God, but his faith was commended by God. Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. And Jacob, it was told that he is not ashamed to be called Jacob's God. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 to 16. See that? This is Jacob. Everything is done by faith. And he exemplifies that faith. Took him a while to get there, but he got there. Because he'd wrestled with God and man for so many of his years. Until one night he wrestled with the angel of the Lord. And God had to dislocate his hip. Because he asked for God to bless him. A place called Peniel. I've seen the face of God. I've wrestled with the true and living God. Because God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Israel means God will strive for you. You need to stop striving on your own, Jacob. Let God do it for you. We told you last week that Israel's history is based on that name. That's why they're called the children of Israel. Why? Because they have to learn to let God strive for them. Until they do, and that won't be until Messiah comes again, they will always have difficulty in life. And the same is true for you and me. As long as we try to strive against man, we'll struggle. But let God strive for you and see what happens. So you move from Jacob's belief to Jacob's bereavement to Jacob's blessing to Jacob's behavior to Jacob's bestowment. Listen to what he says. He says, Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. This is so important. He says, Look, Joseph, as the Lord has been with me, 
so the Lord will be with you. If you go back and you read the, the, the history of, of, uh, of Jacob, it says over in Genesis chapter 28, verse number 15, Behold, Jacob, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. Genesis chapter 31, verse number 3. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. Verse number 5. But the God of my father has been with me. Chapter 35, verse number 3 says, And let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God, who answered me, in the day of my distress, and has been with me wherever I have gone. The father, blessing the son, says to him, my son, understand this, God will be with you. God will be with you. And God will bring you back to this land but God will be with you as he was with me, as he was my shepherd, so too will he be your shepherd. God will be with you. Isn't it interesting that if you go back to Genesis chapter um, 37, Genesis chapter, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 39, Verse number one, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer, Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Then the Lord was with Joseph. So he became a successful man. Verse three, now his master saw that the Lord was with him. And how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper. Potiphar saw that Joseph's God was with him. That Joseph's God made him to prosper. And now that God had caused him to prosper, he was going to use him in a mighty way. And even though all the negative things happened to Joseph, it says in verse number 21 when he's in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. See what happens when God is with you? Not only does he make your way successful, not only does he make your way prosperous, but he makes even those who are your enemies be able to, for you to be able to have favor in their sight. And then it says, the chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in jail. So whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Isn't that great? This is when Joseph has been sold to the Ishmaelites. Now he's been sold to Potiphar. Now he's in Egypt. 
And the Lord is letting us know that behind all the negativity in Joseph's life, guess who was with him? The Lord. The Lord had a plan and a purpose for this man. He was going to use him in a great and mighty way. Now, his father, his father is going to say to him, the Lord has been my shepherd. He's been with me all these years. Joseph, I want to bestow upon you the beauty of God's presence. Never forget that the Lord will be with you and the Lord's going to bring you back to the land that was promised. Now, where are they? They're in Egypt. It's going to be another 430 years before they get back to Canaan. That's a long time. But Joseph believed that. Jacob believed that. Because Isaac believed that. Because Abraham believed that. Because God said that. And they believed exactly as God said. And everything about the story screams of Jacob's belief in his God. He had faith. He believed absolutely and behaved accordingly to all that God said. It's trusting obedience. He had to learn to trust God, to obey God. And that's what he did. But we're not done. We're not done with verse 21 yet. Because it tells us that Jacob, when he blessed his sons, Joseph's sons, worshipped. What does that mean? How did he do that? How did Jacob worship? And that sheds light on the fact that for many of us, we have no idea what worship is. We think it's singing some songs. Did you do your study last week I told you? Go back and look at all the times it talks about worship in the Bible and how many times there was no music when people worshiped. How do you worship without music? Oh, there's so much to uncover. Why? Because worship is all about the preparation of my soul. So if you have come today and not prepared before you got here, you're not going to be prepared once you're here. We think the music is going to prepare us for worship. Oh, no. If you're not prepared before you get here, it's too late. It's too late. You've got to be prepared before you get here. You've got to have a clean heart. You've got to have a consecrated heart. You've got to have a contrite heart. You've got to have a committed heart. You've got to have a compliant heart. You have to have a heart that's ready to receive all that God has. And if you haven't dealt with that outside these walls, guess what? Coming inside the walls ain't going to make that happen. Not good English, but great theology. Bottom line is, there needs to be a preparation of the soul. With the preparation of the soul comes a meditation upon the Scriptures. Knowing everything there is about our God. So that there is a recognition of the Savior. So that there is a resolution to submit to all that God said. That is worship. If you don't understand that, there's nothing we're going to do to be able to help you worship God. 
If your soul has not been prepared and you're not meditated upon the scriptures so you understand the revelation of who God is, so you can recognize him when you see him, because when you recognize him, what do you do? You bow. Matthew 2, 11. The Magi, the kings of the east, when they went to the house, not the grotto, not the stable, not the manger, when they went to the house. So when you have your wise men with your stable, please remove them, take them out of there because they're not there in Bethlehem, okay? When they went to the house and they saw the Messiah, they fell down, they bowed down and worshiped him, offering him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They bowed before him. Interesting. Matthew 8, when Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. And a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you are willing. Resolute determination to submit to all that God wants. But he had to bow down. The word's proskuneo, which means to worship. He bowed in worship without a guitar. How did he do that? Then over in chapter, chapter uh, uh, 9, while he was saying these things to them, a synagogue official came up and bowed down before him, proskuneo, worshipped him. And said, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. There was a recognition of the Savior, right? There was a preparation of the soul. And now there is a resolution to submit. I'm going to bow before you. Just say the word, but I'm going to bow in submission to you. No music in the background. No flute playing. No drums banging. Just bowing in worship. And then, I know my time is gone. Matthew chapter 14, verse number 32. Those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. Remember the whole scenario with Peter trying to walk on the water? And, 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 and he says, Lord, save me. And the Lord saves and brings him up. And they, they said, Certainly you're God's son. There was a recognition of who he is. And what did they do? They worshipped. There was no music in the boat on the Sea of Galilee. They weren't able to plug in a CD or put in their iPhone and hook it up to whatever it was going on so they could play music through the speaker system on the boat in the Sea of Galilee. They bowed and worshipped with no music. And then, chapter 15, Syrophoenician woman, she came and began to bow down before him saying, Lord, help me. Proskuneo. She worshipped with no music. And then Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28 says these words, verse number 16. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped. 
him. Wow. They worshiped him. But there was no music in their worship. Now, it doesn't mean music is not to be used in worship. But you need to understand that music in and of itself is N-O-T, not worship. You cannot worship without a revelation of God's holy word. Without the truth of God, you worship him in spirit and in truth. You worship him from the inside out. You worship him based on a cleansed heart, a, a, a contrite heart, a broken and contrite heart. God does not despise. You worship him from the inside out in spirit and in truth. Because without truth, you have no idea who you're bowing down to. Without truth, you have no idea who you're singing to. Without truth, you have no idea who you're obeying. There must be truth. But, more on that, next week. Because Jacob, who lived by faith, teaches us how to worship. Let me pray with you. Father, we thank you, Lord, for today. The opportunity you give us to spend time in your word. Our prayer, Lord, is that you would help us to see more and more the beauty of your person. In Jesus' name, amen.